for Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WAVE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, recent polling shows the public has become more confident in COVID-19 vaccines over time. What's really been remarkable over time is how quickly that group of people that was eager to get the vaccine has increased. Liz Hamill, Director of Public Opinion and Survey Research at the Kaiser Family Foundation, joins me to discuss what the organization has found about the changing attitudes towards COVID-19 vaccines. That's next. You love free. And at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Over time, the public has gained confidence in vaccines for COVID-19. That's according to polling from the nonprofit Kaiser Family Foundation. It started assessing attitudes towards the shots back in December. Liz Hamill is Director of Public Opinion and Survey Research with the Kaiser Family Foundation. She's with me now to dive into what the organization has found about just how people feel about the vaccines and how that's changed over time. Liz, thanks for talking with me. Sure. Happy to be here. I want to start by having you tell me kind of the origin story of the COVID-19 vaccine monitor. This is the polling that y'all have been doing at the Kaiser Family Foundation about how people feel about these vaccines. So for a long time, KFF has had a program in public opinion and survey research. And really broadly, the goal of our program is to give the public a voice in health policy debates and to have sort of an unbiased source of information about how the public thinks and feels about healthcare and how they're experiencing the healthcare system. So obviously, when the pandemic hit, you know, we started using our surveys to track people's experiences with COVID-19 in terms of their worries, their fears, how their lives were changing, things with testing and things like that. And, you know, as it became clear that there were going to be vaccines available, we saw a big need for a survey project to track what was happening in the public's eyes in terms of vaccines. And so in December, we launched our COVID-19 vaccine monitor, really with the goal of tracking public attitudes, confidence, people's intentions for getting the vaccines, and then also their experiences as they went out and tried to get them. Dig into that a little bit more for me, if you could. It seems interesting that prior to the vaccines being available, y'all were already aware that 
there were going to be uh, potentially widely differing attitudes about them. Why was that? Well, I think there were a couple of things. I mean, we knew historically that there had been um, some different groups who had differing attitudes towards vaccines in general. And we also know that access to healthcare and access to things like vaccines differs for different communities in the U.S. We also saw how attitudes towards COVID-19 in general really diverged um, along partisan lines throughout the pandemic. And so we kind of expected some of those things to be at play when it came to the vaccines as well. How are y'all actually doing this polling? Uh, Explain that for me, if you could, and then how that methodology might affect some of the results you're getting. Sure, sure. So we could have a whole separate conversation about survey methodology. It's gotten very complicated in the 20 years that I've been doing this. But we are really committed to getting a representative sample of the public. And we do that through mainly through telephone surveys, using random digit dialing to reach people on landlines and cell phones. You know, there are ways of reaching people on the internet as well, but those can be more difficult to make sure that you're representing everybody in the population. And so the methodology that we use is a telephone-based methodology. And so take me back to this first uh, COVID-19 vaccine monitor that y'all put out in the field. What questions were you asking and uh, what did you hear from folks? Sure. So our first big survey on this was in December. And we were in the field before the vaccines actually became available to anyone in the public. Um, And so at that point, it was a little bit of a theoretical question. Um, So we asked people, when the vaccine becomes available to you, do you think you'll get it as soon as possible? Will you wait and see how it's working for others before going out and getting it yourself? Will you get it only if you're required to for work, school, or other purposes, or will you definitely not get the vaccine? And we really developed that question to do more than just track a a yes-no, because we knew, especially at the point when the vaccines were theoretical, that it was a little bit more nuanced than that for people. There would be sort of a spectrum of how people were thinking about getting the vaccines. We did find that about a third of the public in December, even before the vaccines were available, said, yes, I want to get this vaccine as soon as it's available to me. Um, And then there was another big share. So it was 39% in December that said, I'm going to wait and see how the vaccine is working for other people before I go out and get it myself. And then there were smaller shares, um, about one in 10 said they'd only get it if they were required to do so. And 15% said they would definitely not get the vaccine. If we want to say that's the starting point for attitudes, how have those changed over time? And have there been any changes in attitudes about that basic question? Will you take a vaccine that have uh, surprised you? Yeah. So, I mean, this is where it would be so great if I had this visual to show you, because what's really been remarkable over time is how quickly that group of people that was eager to get the vaccine has increased. So we had about a third back in December who said they'd get the vaccine as soon as possible. In our most recent survey in May, we had almost two thirds who said they had either gotten the vaccine already or they wanted to get it as soon as possible. Um, That other group, the wait and see group, went from 39% in December down to 12% um, in our latest survey. So really we saw those people who said they wanted to wait and see, they waited, they saw, and they ended up going out and getting the vaccine. A lot of them did. Some of them are still waiting. 
What's been really remarkable is that those two smaller, more resistant groups, the share that says they'll only get the vaccine if they're required to do so or or will definitely not get the vaccine, those really have not changed much over time. So since January, it's been between 6 and 7% consistently saying, I'm only going to get it if I'm required, and about 13% saying they're definitely not going to get the vaccine. And those really haven't moved over time. Do we know why that group that, you know, earlier on said that they were wait and see, what converted them? Yeah, well, we know that, you know, some of the things people have been really concerned about with the vaccine are the speed at which it was developed and concerns about potential side effects. And so I think really what has made the difference over time is people seeing their friends and family members get the vaccine, not having, you know, extreme side effects or doing okay with the side effects and really just getting a little more comfortable and familiar with it, um, having more conversations about it over time. I think those are the things that have converted those people who were waiting to see. Something else that I think has been really interesting that y'all have been looking at are, you know, who people trust the most to deliver messages about the efficacy, the safety of these vaccines. Tell me a little bit about what y'all have found over time about who those most effective uh, messengers are. Yeah, what we've found is that consistently healthcare providers top that list. People really want to hear about this vaccine from healthcare providers and particularly healthcare providers they have relationships with. So their own doctor or the nurse in their doctor's office or their friend or family member who works in the healthcare field. Those have consistently been um, the top trusted sources. You know, there's generally pretty high trust in sources like the CDC or your state and local health department as well. But those tend to be less trusted than your own personal doctor or someone you know personally. And um, because of the sort of partisan divisions I mentioned earlier, we did see some increasing partisanship around trust in, say, the CDC or the FDA or um, a government spokesperson like uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. I think that potentially speaks to a point that we're at in the vaccine rollout process where the super enthusiastic people who maybe didn't need to talk to a doctor to increase their comfort were willing to go to a big drive through site. They've already gotten their shot. Um, It seems that, you know, if people trust their doctors more than anything, uh, that really sets a different pace for the next phase of the vaccine rollout if millions and millions of one on one conversations are going to have to happen. Yeah, and I do think we have to remember that a lot of people don't have those strong connections to the healthcare system. They may not have insurance. They may not have a regular doctor that they see. They may not get paid time off of work to go out and get the vaccine. And so sometimes there's a lot of focus on vaccine hesitancy, but we have to remember that even though everyone is now eligible to get the vaccine, that doesn't mean that everybody has access, meaning that they can go get it without missing pay at work and being able to get the information about how to get it and being able to access it in a place that they trust. I think that there is that common assumption out there that people who haven't gotten vaccinated or just uninterested. Talk to me a little bit more about what y'all have been hearing with regards to access. What are some of the biggest barriers to people uh, actually still finding one of these vaccines, getting getting access to them? Yeah, what we found is that there's both access to the vaccines and access to accurate information. 
particularly for people with lower levels of education, for Black and Hispanic adults, they are more likely to report having some of these barriers. Um, so for instance, you know, we ask people if they're concerned about having to pay an out-of-pocket cost to get the vaccine. Now, we know that the vaccine is available to everyone for free, but we also know that people aren't used to being able to get health care for free in this country. And so we find that Black and Hispanic adults in particular are likely to be uh, concerned that they might have to pay out-of-pocket to get the vaccine. We also find that people are concerned about having to miss work if they experience serious side effects. And again, this is a more prominent concern among people with lower incomes and um, among people who don't get paid time off from their jobs. And so there are some people who also say they actually feel like they might have problems traveling to a vaccine site. That is more directly a representation of access, but I think we have to think of access a little more broadly in terms of being able to support people to get the vaccine in a way that is convenient and you know not going to put their jobs at risk. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Liz Hamill with the Kaiser Family Foundation about the nonprofit's polling on COVID-19 vaccines. You mentioned there, Liz, the confluence of two issues, access and potential socioeconomic status. Uh, So what has your polling found about income, education levels, other socioeconomic indicators and people's willingness to get vaccinated and, and, and their access to vaccines? Yeah, so we have found a pretty persistent education divide in terms of who reports being vaccinated. And that really does reflect, you know, more people without college degrees saying they just haven't gotten the vaccine yet. It's not that they're more likely to be in that hard no category. So I think it does reflect issues of of access and information and convenience. And we've also found that Black and Hispanic adults have been more likely to put themselves in that wait and see category. And that, you know, to a certain extent reflects uh, both access, but also, you know, historic and ongoing mistrust based on poor treatment in the healthcare system and experiences with discrimination. And for Hispanic adults, to a certain extent, immigration-related concerns. Um, so those are some of the, the bigger disparities that we've seen. And I think those are also reflected if you look at the state and federal data about who is actually getting the vaccines. We've seen that white adults are much more likely to be vaccinated compared to Black and Hispanic adults. What have y'all found about political affiliation and vaccine confidence? This is a a pandemic and a response that has been very highly politicized. So how has that uh, been reflected in, in your polling? Yeah, so what we have seen is that Democrats from the beginning have been much more eager to get the vaccines and they've been much more likely, you know, to actually go out um, and and get vaccinated. Republicans have been more likely to say they're definitely not going to get the vaccine. So they're more likely as opposed to the people with lower education and Black and Hispanic adults who are more likely to be in that wait and see category, we found that along political lines, Republicans are more likely to be in the hard no category. For something like that, do we have a sense of of why that is? Yeah. So what we know is that, um, you know, those people who say they're definitely not going to get the vaccine, they have a whole set of attitudes towards the pandemic in general that stand out as distinct from um, most other segments of the public. 
They're much less likely to say that they're worried about getting sick from COVID-19. They're much more likely to believe that the seriousness of the pandemic has been exaggerated in the news. They're you know, less likely to say that they wear masks when they go out in public. And so I think it does reflect some of the political divisions we've seen around how seriously we should actually be taking this disease. And so a lot of those people in that definitely not group just don't feel like this is something they need protection from. How should the public, how should the media, how should officials use this polling and and what y'all have found? Yeah, so I think some of the the most useful information in our polling and what will be really useful going forward is looking at what people are concerned about, some of the things we've already talked about in terms of both access and confidence in the vaccines. But we've also been using our surveys to kind of test what would make a difference for you? What would, you know, motivate you to go out and get vaccinated? And, you know, looking at both incentives and requirements, things like if your employer gave you a $200 bonus, or if the vaccine was offered to you at your place of work, making it more convenient for you to get it. You know, we know that those um, types of things can move. At this point, they're, they're sort of small shares of the unvaccinated that say, yes, I'd be more likely to, to go out and get the vaccine, um, you know, if I was offered this incentive or if it was more convenient. But I think we've already seen the big movement that we're going to see. Um, you know, I think there's all kinds of indications that vaccine uptake is slowing. And so each of these different interventions in terms of incentives or requirements requiring the vaccine for travel or for attending events, each of those has the potential to convince a different segment of that, those currently unvaccinated to go out and get the vaccine. And so I think that's where the surveys can be really useful is understanding which groups are more likely to be motivated by these different interventions. Is there a way in which polling drives too much of the kind of larger narrative of this story of the vaccine rollout? We see polls come out from Kaiser Family Foundation um, and other polling organizations that say, well, X group is particularly hesitant. And then you see a flurry of, of, of reporting on, you know, X group and, and why they're not getting the vaccine. It just seems like polls like the ones that y'all put together have a real effect in, in kind of the general narrative and conception of who's hesitant. Yeah, that's a really great point. And we are very careful in our reporting to to not, in fact, we try not to use the word hesitant. And this is why we talk about access and we talk about barriers and we talk about concerns because the way we view it is we're trying to show who has questions and how can you help answer those questions and make it easier for these people to get the vaccine and to have confidence that these vaccines are safe and effective. I think what often happens, especially in the headlines, is painting this picture of all Republicans are vaccine hesitant. Well, actually, we do find that Republicans are disproportionately likely to say they're definitely not going to get the vaccine. But actually, over half of Republicans say they want to get the vaccine or they've already gotten it. And so we try to be very nuanced in our reporting of it. And we always say that none of these groups is monolithic in terms of their vaccine attitudes. But I think, um, you know, sometimes 
that narrative comes out very strongly in the media about certain groups that are vaccine hesitant, which I think can do harm because it sort of puts the onus on that group and their attitudes as opposed to really recognizing that people have legitimate concerns. Being hesitant about a vaccine like this that is brand new is a very legitimate position. And, you know, in a sense, the burden needs to be on those who want to see people get vaccinated to explain to people why this is a good choice for them. The way I've seen these polls used in, in, in reporting, and I think just kind of in, in the general somewhat observant public is, is as a tool to say point fingers and say, well, here is a group who is hindering our larger effort to get people vaccinated. Yeah. And that is, again, you know, we always, we phrase things in certain ways in our reports. We're very careful about how we ask our questions to be very objective, but we can't control how our um, surveys are going to be reported in the media or, you know, used by those who who want to point fingers. Um, And so that, you know, that does happen. What is your vision for how this project moves into the future? You know, as as more and more people get vaccinated, do you ramp this down? Are there plans to end this? And um, if so, at what point and what could that look like? Yeah, so when we initially launched this project, we viewed it as an 18-month project. We were not interested in just measuring the initial rollout because we knew we would reach this point where it seems we're at now, where sort of the low-hanging fruit has been picked and, you know, the people who really wanted to get the vaccine were going to go out and get it. I think we now are at the point where we are maybe reaching a change in what we're doing with the project, which is really trying to dig a little bit deeper into some of those groups that have not been able to get the vaccine yet. And so, you know, we've been flexible throughout with this project. We change our questions every month based on trying to understand where the the needs are for those who are on the ground, really trying to, to get the vaccine out there. And the one thing we will continue to do and we've been doing throughout this project is to shine a light on those underserved communities. I neglected to mention at the beginning that all of our surveys include oversamples of Black and Hispanic adults because we know those are some of the groups that have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic and we want to be able to represent their views and experiences as well. And so we will continue to focus on those groups. Um, We're also, you know, now as the vaccines are becoming available for children, we're pivoting our questions, but also thinking about pivoting our samples so that we can talk more to parents and understand their questions and and the barriers to getting their children vaccinated. Um, And so we will continue to do this as long as we feel that we can provide information that will help inform the efforts on the ground. What what lessons, if any, do you think this polling project, when it does wrap, this might lend to future health efforts, future pandemics? I mean, I, I would imagine that the things that you're learning are going to have some kind of applicability uh, in the future. You know, I would say for us as researchers, one thing that we've learned is that flexibility is key. Um, And that was something that our team always prided ourselves on um, because we, you know, prior to this, the major thing that we were always tracking was attitudes towards the ACA. And that was something that sometimes would be changing very quickly with a flurry of activity depending on what was happening in Washington. And 
We got very good at adapting our questionnaires very quickly and responding to what was going on on the ground. And, you know, that was something we'd ha we've had to do even more during the pandemic. And so I think that's a lesson that we as researchers will certainly take forward into future research. Liz Hamill is Director of Public Opinion and Survey Research at the Kaiser Family Foundation. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary, but when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org donate and thanks.